Welcome to Setsang. Hello, Mishrant. Can you please talk about the topic, why you have always been at your final destination? When I was a seeker, I was looking for something. I was looking for beingness. I was looking for awakening. And as a seeker, I was thirsty. I was in desire for truth. It wasn't until I started experiencing self, true self, that I realized it was always here. It had never been anywhere else. It was always here. It just wasn't being aware of itself. And so as a seeker, I was aware of my mind and what it thought and through my senses, the world. And I was looking for beingness somehow outside of myself even though my teachers had said it's within. I was still looking outside, thinking that it was somewhere to get um, the farther shore or something like that. And it wasn't until awareness turned back on itself that the mind realized it's always been here. I've always been at the final destination, always. And so is everybody else. So this seeking and questing, which goes on, really needs to turn inward. And then such a laugh arises because it's so funny. You've been looking for it for so long in the wrong places. And it's always been here. Pure awareness, that that you are, is here. Always here. Untouchable. Like the sky. Always here. But we get focused on the clouds, the things that appear in the sky, the things that appear in beingness. We get distracted by watching them and thinking somehow, that's going to help us. But really, what's watching? What's aware? It's always here. You're already at your final destination. Any questions? Any statements? Any challenges to this teaching today? The first question is as follows. So no matter what I'm doing, does my awareness have to be always looking back for beingness? If you're wanting, if you're wanting enlightenment, yes. <laughs> if you're wanting to find yourself as truth and to exist as that, instead of living as the false self, the I, yes, you have to look back. You have to see what is 
aware, what is witnessing everything? What is this that's here before the mind begins? Another way of putting it is who are you really? How do you tangibly know you are successfully turning awareness toward itself? Well, at first I, I found the, that it was difficult because I wasn't finding anything. It wasn't until I realized that beingness is not a thing that you can find as such. It's not an object. It's not an experience. In fact, in the early stages of self-inquiry, uh, it was more like a nothingness, more like a, just an emptiness, a silence and a stillness. And so because we're programmed to look for that that moves and that that makes noise, we miss it. Our primal programming for survival gets in the way. But it's always here. It's always here. After a while, the silence and stillness felt like it went on forever. There didn't seem to be a boundary of any kind, neither in depth or width, or it was just continuous, infinite. And in looking, in looking at it through the mind, there was an experience of uh, expansion happening in the mind. But then in continuing to look at it, in continuing to self-inquire, it was a little bit like walking around a big abyss of nothingness and watching it, just walking around it and watching it. And then one day, instead of watching it through the mind, there was the knowing of it as self. So there was no watching it, it was self now. And so it's a little difficult to describe because we love reference points. And in beingness, there are no reference points. It really is the vast emptiness or the vast nothingness of everything. And it's very beautiful. The following question is from a viewer, uh, from Panit. Is the moment when awareness turns towards itself the same moment the ego dies? So in my experience, uh, I started uh, having Satori's 
Um, Satori is a glimpse of who we are. And in that Satori, there was no ego. There was just everything as self. Everything is self. This vast, vast, everything is self. And so there wasn't any ego present. And in self-inquiry, turning awareness back to itself, sometimes there was a bit of ego present and sometimes there wasn't. But when awareness became fully aware of itself, the ego just disappeared. And from the mind's perspective of understanding, it was clearly seen that the ego could not possibly have been who I was. Not possible. Because we are beingness. Not because of any intellectual understanding, but because of the direct knowing that occurs when awareness is aware of itself in this moment. And so people try for intellectual understanding. They try to understand enlightenment. They try to understand how to get there. But really, you can't understand it. You can know it. And then you're going to have a lot of trouble explaining it. But you can't understand it. Any conceptual understanding, ideology, belief system is still dreaming. It's still in the mind. The direct, the direct knowing is different. Has no reference points. Just is. Because you just are. Nothing more, nothing less. You just are. If I'm not knowing beingness as myself, do you think there is any value in understanding that I am beingness or should I just focus on being present? The the thirst for truth, the thirst to come home to true self is required for the seeker to do whatever's required to come home. And so in the thirst, for higher consciousness, for truth, a person will meditate. They will self-inquire. They will learn to remove any obstacle that might be in the way of that. And so it is important that there is an understanding that there is something greater than the eye. That is important. Otherwise, why would you look? (laughs) Why would you be interested? So all of the awakened sages supply a light so people can see that there's something else here, that there's different types of people on the planet. There's people who are living ego-based reality and there's people who are actually living being-based reality. And there is a vast difference. One is false and one is real. The false self, the ego, pretends to be real. But without imagination, it does not exist. 
and imagination is not real. Our true self is always here and it's not imagined, it's always here. And so the seeker needs to get an understanding that that's a possibility before the seeker really goes for it and has a look outside its own small parameters of what it thinks is real. Next, Lisha would like to ask a question. Hi, Vishran. Hello, Risha. Okay, Vishran, when I'm in my beingness, I can experience an intensity in my throat area and in my belly. Why is this and what can I do about it? Okay. And so that has nothing to do with beingness. That has everything to do with some physiological reaction, energetic or otherwise. I just accept whatever is. You see, the questioning at that stage is going to take you back into the mind because the mind is looking to understand. And in a way, that is in the way. If we move to acceptance, this is what is, we stop thinking about it, which is brilliant because now we're not engaging the dream machine. Now awareness can just simply witness itself. And so anything that appears can be accepted or we can try to understand it. But understanding is the booby prize. Just accept things as they appear. Be tenderly okay with whatever appears. How's that, Usha? Yeah, so, so, so do we just keep on uh, being in our beingness when, when that occurs? Just accept it without putting any, any sort of uh, thought to it. Just remain as beingness. Is that what you're trying to tell me? That's, well, you don't have any choice in that because you are beingness no matter what. It's a yeah. matter of where awareness is at, whether awareness is witnessing itself or whether it's actually witnessing the mind and its story about, oh, something happening in my throat and my chest. Mm. Just keep awareness on itself. Okay. Yeah. Okay. The moment we engage the mind, the chances are awareness is going to go back to the mind, particularly in the early stages of awakening, because it has a habit of being locked on the mind. Just witness pure awareness if you can. Okay. And, and with the experiences happening, you can witness them. That's not a problem. But as far as the mind's concerned, it's best just accepting them as they are rather than trying to understand them. Okay. Okay. Thank you, Vishra. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Vishra. Thank you. The following question has been written by a viewer. What is the difference between the seer, witness and awareness? None really, unless of course it's going through the mind in, in a way that the mind has actually set itself up as a seer. 
or the mind has set itself up as awareness or the mind has set itself up as the witness. The mind is a very, very tricky piece of equipment. It can take ownership of just about anything and it tends to. That that's aware of the mind is not an identity. It just is. But the mind can set itself up as an identity and pretend to be awareness because it's that tricky and it's that good at imagining things. But what's aware of it all? What's aware of the thoughts? Just allow yourself to be the witness of the mind, the witness of everything, without thought, without judgment, just the witness. No identity. And see. The next question is from Anna. Do some people have bigger and stronger egos than others? Heck yeah. <laughs> some people do weightlifting of it for their egos. I mean, we look at how the ego develops in a child, how, how, how it strengthens itself. It strengthens itself through no, no resistance. The same as muscles get greater in size through resistance. The ego gets greater in size through resistance. The more resistant a person is, the more likely they've got a big ego. And so in higher consciousness, as you're going for it, instead of becoming bigger, better and more powerful, which is personal growth, you're actually diminishing. You're diminishing the ego. It's getting smaller. It's getting left out. And so you become less than rather than more than. But there's definitely a difference in the ego size in people, though it's all simply identification. In other words, mine, I. Pure awareness does not have identification. It just is. And it is always here. It doesn't matter how big your ego is or how small your ego is. Just start watching the mind. Just start witnessing it. See what you can see. Without judgment, just watch it. And if you feel to, self-inquire. Ask the question when a thought arises. What's aware? What's aware? An attempt to turn that that is aware of the mind, that that is witnessing the mind, back to itself. And so they're all the same, unless the egos claim them, and then they're just another ego trip. Have a look for yourself. The following question is from Kelly. Does being aware of awareness or when awareness is aware of you itself, as you've put it, suggest three entities, even if two of the three are illusory? Three entities, did she say? Yes. There's only one. It's beingness. There is only one. Everything else is illusionary. There's only one. <laughs> Awareness turns back on itself. 
and you discover there is only one. There is no such thing as duality. That's a dream. There is only one. We are one. And everything is emptiness. <laughs> and scientists discovered that years ago with the electron microscope. They discovered at the center of the atom, at the center of the electron, just emptiness. Sages have been saying it for 10,000 years because that's their direct knowing. It's true, there's only one. Next question. If I've always been at my final destination, how do I remove the blockages that stop me from seeing it? Well, the main blockage is dreaming. You're dreaming. Every thought you have is a dream. It's not real. Every thought you have is a dream. And because your awareness is on that dream, you think it's real. The dream seems real, but it's not real. No thought is real. It might be a bit of energy, but it's not real. And so the main blockage or the main thing in the way of really both higher consciousness and super consciousness is dreaming. The constant dreaming, the constant thinking, the constant awareness on the mind rather than on itself. And so in a, a turning awareness back to itself through self-inquiry, we start to get glimpses of who we really are. And it's not a dream, it's reality. And in this reality, dream appears and disappears like the clouds appear and disappear in the sky. But the interest is in the sky, not the clouds anymore. When the interest for the mind becomes in the sky, then the mind supports self-inquiry. It supports the witness instead of supporting itself, instead of supporting dreaming. Nothing you think is real and nothing you think you are is real. Awareness or is, is real and it's always here. It's always here. Pure awareness. Before the mind even begins, it is here. Find that and you've found self. Find that and you're home. You've always been at your final destination and you've finally realized it. It's here, now. The next question is from a viewer. For me, the thoughts don't arise, but I am actively thinking every time I drift off from self-inquiry. How can I get to the point where I notice, where I can notice the thoughts arising before I get caught in thinking? A lot of discipline required. I don't, uh, I stopped teaching pure Advaita Vedanta some 10 years ago because I realized that the methodology that actually works, which is to inquire into every thought that arises, is only really suitable for people who are in ashrams or monasteries or caves. It's too intense. And this is why I started teaching Buddhism because Buddhism is a way of the heart. It's also a way of discipline. And I feel 
quite strongly that for those, those people who are in the marketplace, who have families, who have jobs, they can't just inquire into every thought that arises into the mind whatsoever. But what they can do is practice openness and practice being a loving person. In practicing openness, we remove all the obstacles that are in the way of heart and we remove all the obstacles that are in the way of enlightenment. Openness counts for everything. This is the way of the heart. It's a non-resistant pathway. Self-inquiry, which is a discipline like meditation or meditative practices, can also be applied at the same time. So you have two wings. One discipline with self-inquiry, meditations, maybe yoga, asanas. The other one with openness, removing all obstacles and defences that are in the way. Now you have two wings. And with these two wings, you can fly and find yourself as truth. And so I don't just advise one methodology. That one methodology of discipline is probably okay for people who are locking themselves away from the world in some way. But for people in the marketplace, openness counts for everything. next question has been written by Enrique. There are days I feel low in energy and that I think makes it more difficult to say yes to situations. What do you think and suggest doing then? <laughs> I discovered a long, long time ago that we learn surrender through the practice of acceptance. We don't learn surrender through the practice of resistance. And so when obstacles appeared that seemed unreasonable or that I didn't want to play with, I would practice acceptance. And in the practice of acceptance, I taught my mind to lay down. And I found heart. I found love in that openness. And so if you're feeling tired, what a great opportunity to practice acceptance. For me, existence gave me uh, chronic fatigue for nearly 15 years from the age of 34 onwards. And having chronic fatigue and trying to manage a family and trying to manage a business is difficult because you're tired all the time. But it taught me how to run on empty, doing the most amount with the least amount of effort. And I called it running on empty. It also taught me to accept life as it was, rather than how I prefer it to be. And in that acceptance, my heart opened because openness supports love. And so don't see tiredness as an obstacle. 
see it as an opportunity to practice acceptance. The next question is from a viewer. What practice will you recommend to someone who wants to get on the path and suffers from ADHD? Attention Deficit Disorder. Well, not many of you would know, but I have ADHD. I have had since I was a child and I was diagnosed with it. And it's one of the reasons I got into meditation because it allowed my mind to settle down. My mind doesn't talk to itself anymore, so the ADHD doesn't show up very much. But boy, did I cause some problems when I was in school because I wasn't diagnosed until I left school and so I wasn't treated with dexafetamines or Ritalin or whatever they treat the condition with. And so I was just a troublemaker, which taught me a lot about acceptance. Because I was unacceptable at school, I had to learn to find a way to accept myself. What I did with the ADHD is I went into jobs that demanded a lot of um, activity all the time. And so I went from... Uh, band booking because i was into band booking i used to book heavy metal bands into all the hotels around west australia and then i went from that pretty much into uh, publishing now i don't know if any of you've had anything to do with publishing but it is full on i had 30 salesmen working uh, and five clerical staff and dozens of magazines going out each week and there was just so many things to look at and so many things to do. It really served my ADHD mind because I didn't have to concentrate on anything for too long. I had something else to do. But then I discovered meditation. And in meditation, I found that I could find peace from this. I also discovered there was different things I was doing in my life that were allowing me to find peace. One of them was diving underwater. I used to dive with tanks and I used to free dive. And I found every time I got into the water, my mind would slow down and stop. And I'd just be with the fish and the seaweed and the sand. It was lovely. It was like reprieve from a noisy mind. I also found that riding motorbikes allowed that too. Because when you're riding a motorbike, if you're not present, particularly in West Australia, where everyone rides quite fast, well, you're going to die. You have to be present. You can't be lost in your head thinking. And, and then I started meditating. I realized that these things, diving and motorbikes and martial arts, other things I was into, which allowed me to become more present to the moment and took taking me away from my noisy mind, I could find in meditation. So meditation for me became something I did every day. Uh, starting uh, at six in the morning with dynamic meditation, 
which was a Rajneesh, Osho Rajneesh meditation, and five in the evening or six in the evening with Kundalini, which was another meditation of Rajneesh, Osho Rajneesh. And I did these uh, every day for years and years and years. I just loved meditating. And I got to the stage where I just like sitting uh, and watching my breath because it was so profoundly peaceful. And so you can do it, but you have to really want to. You have to really want to, because if we want something bad enough, we'll do whatever it takes to make it so. I loved meditation so much that I discovered I wanted to be in meditation all the time. Present to reality all the time. I had lost interest in dreaming. And I still have lost interest in dreaming. <laughs> this moment is so precious. I hope that helps. Next question. I thought I, <clears throat> I thought I was living in the moment until I met people who were more present than me. How would I know if I'm present enough for waking up? Uh, <laughs> Self-inquiry, if you're using that methodology, demands that you turn awareness back to itself. What's aware? What's aware of the mind? What's aware? You're coming into the moment because you're becoming aware of what's real. In walking, you'd be aware of your footfalls. You'd be aware of your breath, your arm movements, the sights around you, the sounds around you. And if you're aware of all of those things, you'll be in meditation because you won't be able to think. You'll just be able to be with what is. And so we can practice meditation all day long if we want by simply being aware of what is happening around us. Our feelings in our hands, our feelings in our feet, the sounds around us, the sights around us. It's up to you. We we were pretty much like that to some degree before we went to school. And then we went to school and we learned to live in our heads. Most human adults live in their heads until they die, thinking that somehow they're living, but they're really just existing in a dream. Reclaim reality from the dream that you got lost in by going to school. Reclaim it with the practice of meditation. It works. From experience of Satori's that I've had, I understand that there is only now, yet I still get caught in fear and hope. What would give me a deeper understanding that there is only now? The deeper understanding wouldn't help you one bit because you already understand it. Uh, you understand that there is only now. You already understand that. But you have a habit of dreaming. Fear and hope belong to projections of the future. Not real. But you have a habit 
of projecting. And so you have to change the pattern. I love the now and I love the unknown. And so I practiced being present to reality until that became my pattern. Whatever we practice becomes our pattern. If you practice being present to reality long enough, you'll find yourself present to reality. If all you practice is thinking, well, that's all you're ever going to be good at, thinking. And thinking is not real. The next question has been written by Patrick. Is it possible to speak more about openness? How does this translate in relationships? Yeah. Without openness, we'll go on the negative first. Without openness, there is no love. There might be the pretense of love. There might be the thinking there's love. But if we're closed, we can't even perceive love. Love is perceived in openness, not in closure. And when there is love, there is intimacy. And intimacy also is perceived in openness, not in closure. If we're closed, we might believe that we're loving. We might believe we're experiencing love. But that's highly unlikely because we've cut ourselves off. We've created a barrier. In openness, we as an I start disappearing. And because we start disappearing, the main obstacle in the way of the perception of love is disappearing. And so if you want to be really loving, get out of the way. Leave yourself at the door. Sometimes you go into these Buddhist temples and above the door it says, abandon all hope. Hope belongs to the mind. Just leave it behind. Leave all the thoughts behind. Be present to reality. It's lovely. Openness is the most wonderful thing we human beings can get involved with. But we don't live in a world that is open. We live in a world that is basically closed. People are defended because they're frightened of being hurt and they've developed patterns of closure. You want to fully live, open up. Wear your heart on your sleeve and walk through the world vulnerable. This is the beauty way. This is the way of the heart. Next, uh, we have a statement from Enrique. When I'm in low energy, I get angry more easily and sometimes hurt the ones I love and that worries me. I don't want that to happen, but my feelings take me over. Can you please comment? Yeah, you've become a victim of your own feelings. That's not a good idea. When you say your feelings take you over, you've become a victim of them. Your feelings don't take you over at all. You're reacting. You, you're reacting because you're tired. 
And my suggestion is simple. Instead of reacting, accept life as it is. Accept the problems that present themselves when you're tired as they are instead of reacting. But that would mean you taking full responsibility for yourself that you make yourself feel not the world around you. That is the ultimate immaturity. I make myself feel, no matter what anyone else does or says at any time, whether I'm tired or not tired, I make myself feel. Therefore, I'm fully responsible for my reactions. It's up to you. Have a look and see. Who makes you feel? The next question has been written by Usha. Can I say that love is not a feeling, but the presence in the heart that is open and infinite? It's so funny because I can't find a location of love. It's everywhere. Some people say it's in the chest. Um, I just, it's everywhere. Love is in the air, everywhere you look around. I can't say that it's anywhere, but when there's an absence of the I, when there's an absence of you, love is easy to perceive. When there's a lot of you in the picture, because you're just a defensive survival mechanism as an I, there's usually a sense of separation and a lack of the sense of love. And so in learning to get out of the picture, in learning to get out of the way, you find more love. But as far as it being in the heart, I don't know. I just find it everywhere. When I'm inside, there's nothing. Just nothing. When I'm out here with people, there's love. It's a, it's a mystery to me. But I know one thing. Openness counts for everything. The following question has been written by Nate. How do I explain to another person that they are dreaming? <laughs> I, only, I don't. I talk to seekers and I tell them they're dreaming if they're dreaming. I don't tell the people out that they're in the marketplace, they're dreaming. <laughs> that it wouldn't be accepted. Look, you stop dreaming, you wake up to your true nature. You can't tell that many people about it. Most people can't understand. They have no concept of what you're talking about. None. They believe themselves to be real. They believe they are a mind and they are a body that's been somewhere and is going somewhere. And so why would you want to bother trying to convince them of anything else? I'm here for seekers who want to know the truth. And they got to come to me. I'm not a missionary. I'm not, I'm not trying to save the world. If people are interested in knowing the truth, they can come and say hello but I'm not going to try and convince anyone of anything. 
that would be me being crazy. I just point. I point in a certain direction. You have a look. You look and see for yourself. The next question has been written by a viewer. I find much happiness when holding my baby, but when I switch into business mode, I feel myself hardened up ready for what's coming. How to switch between the two and not close? Yeah. See, when you're holding your baby, you're holding something that is harmless and defenseless. And so there's no threat to you whatsoever. You can be wide open. And it's easy to be wide open with babies and puppies. The trick for us human beings is can we be wide open with people who are dangerous, people who might hurt us? Can we be wide open in business and still operate? My experience is, yes, we can. But it takes a lot of practice because we're very practiced at being defended. We're very practiced at being closed, protecting ourselves. And that's our, usually our default patterning. To undo that, we have to practice the opposite. We have to practice being open. Now we know we can be open with babies and probably puppies. If we can be open with puppies and babies, we can be open with everyone. It's just a matter of choice. Choose openness. Choose to be vulnerable. Drop your defense systems. Love the world. The next question has been written by Usha. So can I say peace, love and joy are the jewels of consciousness? The only jewel of consciousness is love because love is real. Peace is related to the mind. The mind is not real. Love is real. And so the true jewel of consciousness is love. What the mind thinks about that is also not real. Whether it finds peace or not, that's not real either. What's real though is love. The mind is imagined. Love is not imagined. It is real. And it is here. If you're open enough, you can perceive it. If you're not open, you may not. Your choice. Because you are responsible for your openness. How can I juggle the chaos of running a busy business, but still be open and in touch with beingness. Hmm, very difficult. <laughs> I don't even know if that's possible. I don't know. Awakening occurs and then the person who awakens 
can either be in the world or not in the world. If they choose to be in the world, it's going to be harder for them because there's going to be so many things that are going to try to pull awareness away from itself, back to the mind, back to the ego. But with practice, awareness, the practice of letting go, from the mind's perspective, awareness seems to stay quite solidly on itself, a bit like two permanent magnets stuck on like that. But that tends to happen a bit down the track, not straight away. Someone who's just waking up will find it fragile. Awareness flip-flops from the mind back to itself. And if the mind is constantly contracting, well, awareness gets locked on the mind. And so the mind can support awakening, support enlightenment by not contracting, by not resisting life, by accepting life as it is. Whether you're in business or you're not in business, whether it's hectic or not, can you be in a state of acceptance? Or are you going to go to a state of resistance? Because in resistance, in contraction, awareness gets attracted to that. So a mind that supports enlightenment is a mind that is equanimous. It's a mind that stays even no matter what is happening. Does it matter whether one stays in the world or not after awakening? No, doesn't matter. But my teacher and spiritual master, Osho Rajneesh, said, if you find the light, don't hide it. Don't hide it away. Don't lock it away. Take it into the marketplace and shine it so others may see. And so here we are. But it doesn't matter, really. As a matter of fact, nothing matters. It's a love affair. The mind has a love affair with truth, the beloved. And in that love affair with truth, the mind becomes a servant of truth. The mind becomes a servant of love. And as a servant of love and as a servant of truth, the mind becomes a servant of humanity. Because we are one. The next question has been written by Trevor. Is it enough to rest as awareness and stop going along with or being joined to thoughts on a continuous basis? Will that one practice eventually end contraction? The only, the only thing that uh, ends contraction is acceptance of life as it is. And that becomes a practice. Uh, we're all programmed to resist life as it is. That's our primal programming for survival. And so for that to change, we have to practice something different. My understanding is that the practice of acceptance of life as it is teaches a surrender, which is actually a non-doing. I don't know any other way that really works. Acceptance works. And so we can go a bit further and we can start talking about, well, what creates contraction? 
and we can look in the mind and see what's usually when an expectation isn't met somewhere. We have a belief system on how things should be and we have an expectation based on that belief system. When the expectation is not met, we contract because we think something's wrong. We can undo the belief system, which disempowers it the moment we put doubt into it. And we can accept that this is how it is, rather than right, wrong, good, bad. This is simply what is. It is neither right nor wrong, good nor bad. It is simply what is. With this understanding and this practice, the mind can stay level. Up to you. Whatever you practice, you're going to be good at. If all you do is practice resistance to life, that's all you'll ever be good at. Is beingness in everything, like plants and in water? Is beingness in everything like what, sorry? Like, for example, the plants and water? Okay, so beingness is everything, yes. There is nothing that isn't beingness. Everything is beingness. You can take that on intellectually as an understanding, or you can know that directly by turning awareness onto awareness. And then it's not, an, it's not borrowed knowledge, it's your direct knowing in this moment. Next question. Are there certain lifestyles, like being in the constant stress of business, that impact being in touch with the final destination? Yeah. Some businesses really aren't suited for people who are interested in finding themselves as truth. It's true. And some businesses are. I was a publisher for 10 years before... Uh, I gave that up and I gave that up to find my heart because as a publisher, uh, I found that I was too warlike. Uh, business made me too warlike. I'd been programmed to win and I found that the phonetic, freneticness of business was too much. And so I gave up my businesses so I could find heart because I recognised that love, which is heart, is the true jewel of consciousness. And at that time of my life, when I was 33, 34, I recognized I was pretty broke. I had been successful in business, but I was broke because I didn't have heart. And so I went in the pursuit of heart. And in the pursuit of heart, I gave my businesses to my staff and decided to look for my heart. I discovered that I had to undo myself as an I, as a mind. And so the great undoing really, really commenced. Undoing all the belief systems that were in the way that kept contracting them. 
removing all the defense systems that were in the way, because it's obvious they were in the way, until there was nothing left. And so it was a bit like reverse engineering. I'd been built as a war machine, and now I had to reverse engineer that. And I did. It took years. But I did. And I started finding heart. I started finding the beauty of love. I started finding the true jewel of consciousness. And in that, discovered that I still had to be here in the world. I still had to do something. And so what to do if I'm going to be here in the world? And I figured out that if I'm going to follow love, I need to follow how it affects my mind. And how it was affecting my mind was it was making it feel like taking care of people, taking care of the planet, taking care of plants, taking care of animals, just taking care, generally speaking. And so I went back to school and trained as a naturopath and as a psychotherapist so I could have some tools to help people with. Because my love affair with love dictated that I moved into service of others so I could help them. And that love affair is still here today. 33 years later. <laughs> and I recommend it to everybody. But it is true that some businesses don't suit the way of the heart or enlightenment. But you'll have to look for yourself and see if that's true. And you'll have to be terribly honest with yourself, ruthlessly honest with yourself. For me, it was a very expensive thing to do to give away my companies. But it was worth it. Because love is everything. Thank you for Satsa. Good to see you brave hearts here today.